song. Um, boy, without the Holy Spirit, um, anything that I have to say to you is just going to fall on deaf ears. And um, boy, in these weeks, there's just so many things I want to say. And uh, without the Holy Spirit, I will try to say all of them this morning. If you turn in your Bibles with me to John 3, we're going to be uh, studying verses 1 through 10 this morning. Now let's uh, bow our heads together. Father God, we we need your spirit to be working in our hearts and our minds. Lord, we thank you for this age that we live in, that your spirit is indwelling those who know you, that uh, you are um, available to us to be known, to have the righteousness of Christ participating on our behalf. Lord, we just want to drink of you this morning. We want to drink of your truth. We need it, Father. We live in a world of lies. We fight against an enemy who's a liar. We are completely dependent on your truth. We're completely dependent on your spirit to work your truth into our hearts and minds. Lord, I just pray that you would speak this morning, that you would um, limit my words to just what you once said. And you would bring to mind the things that you want spoken. And Father, we just thank you for this morning and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I can remember when I was sitting in my office at my first full-time church position. <clears throat> and um, I got a call from an old friend. And we hadn't touched base with each, with each other for quite a while since uh, we were both students at Moody. And... and um, and just over the course of the conversation, he was uh, asking about my family, and he was also asking about the ministry that I was involved with and things. And um, so we had been talking about uh, the ministry, and I didn't realize that he had switched back over to asking about my family. And so he asked at that time, so how many kids do you have? And I said, about 35. <laughs> but I haven't met all of them yet. <laughs> there was a pause on the phone. <laughs> Obviously, we had some miscommunication going on. You know, what happens in miscommunication? They, they say that uh, in order for communication to happen, a signal has to get sent. And that signal goes through a filter uh, of that person's worldview. And then that signal gets received through another person's filter that's, that's being spoken to. And unless the signal that is sent is the same signal received, communication hasn't happened. And you're probably thinking of a lot of conversations you've had, maybe even over this past week, where it's happened with miscommunication. I didn't mean that when I said that. Well, we, got to, we get to kind of sit on the sidelines of a conversation between Jesus Christ and Nicodemus. And we get to, we're watching kind of 
the signals being sent and not received the way that they're meant and, and we have the opportunity being sitting on this side of history to understand these through inspired scripture and it's a, it's a neat opportunity. Um, but th- this conversation starts in verse one. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Now, Nicodemus was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He would have been a wealthy individual um, in the Jerusalem community here. And he comes to Jesus at night. Being a member of the Jewish ruling council, being that he would have been wealthy, there wouldn't have been the need to work during the day. So we can assume here that he comes to Jesus at night because of the fact that he was trying to keep from being seen by other people. So it's a secret meeting that Nicodemus is uh, working out here, either arranged beforehand or, or he just shows up for. And for the longest time, I kind of wondered, why is it that Nicodemus is kind of making this gesture toward Jesus of, of welcoming him or recognition. And I, I wondered if Jesus was kind of like this, well, I got this picture that he was just kind of this one-track mind kind of guy. Like, like everybody he spoke to must get responded with, I tell you the truth, unless you've been born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, like that's just how he opened every conversation or something. Until I was drawn to study the verses that precede chapter 3. Now we know that John in writing his gospel isn't necessarily writing this happened and then immediately after that this happened and then immediately after that this happened. It's not necessarily even in chronological order. But if you notice at the end of chapter 2 starting in verse 23 Jesus is dealing with a crowd of people. And they have something in common with Nicodemus. And I believe that's why John brings these two experiences together side by side. So if you look at chapter 2 verses 23 through 24, it says this. Now while he, being Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. All right, good sign, right? Good thing here. They see the signs and they believe. Well, what does it say about Jesus? 
But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in man. This here is the belief of Nicodemus. Notice what what it says about Nicodemus says. He says, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So the belief of both this crowd and the belief of Nicodemus is a belief in what they see, but it is not a belief in who Jesus really is. I would argue it's not a saving faith. And this is why Jesus cuts straight to the core. And this is why John chooses to put these two experiences side by side. The experience of the crowd and their belief and Nicodemus' conversation with him because they're both believing because of the miraculous signs they are seeing. So how is it that you move from this belief of Nicodemus and the crowd to belief of John 3.16, which comes later on in this conversation, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that any who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I believe that we learn the difference between these two types of belief in verses 1 through 10. And the answer is in the idea of a person being born again. A person being born again. So in reply, Jesus tells him, he declares, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now my wife Kelly is a nurse by trade um, and she's not working as a nurse right now but in working as a nurse uh, when she first comes onto her shift at a hospital or um, several times during the shift she is responsible to take a person's vitals all right and by taking their vitals they, they're called this because the things that she is measuring are pretty vital to their survival a pulse pretty vital I'd say, right? Uh, You know, temperature, blood pressure. If I name anything else, I'm probably going to name something that's not one. So I'll stop there. But they're vitals because they're vital to their survival. And Jesus makes this statement because, and this is our first idea here, being born of God is a vital necessity. It is a vital necessity. He cuts to the quick here. So what is this new birth that he's talking about? Literally, it's talking about from being born from above or being born of God. The rebirth of salvation is a prominent theme in John's gospel. He opens up his gospel saying that those who are born, uh, those who accept Christ as their Savior are born children of God. In verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. He closes his, his gospel describing that salvation comes not by believing in Jesus as a simple miracle worker or as a good man or a great teacher, but in John 20, he closes his gospel in verse 31 saying, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, so why is it considered a new birth? 
Well, um, different than being like a New Year's resolution or, you know, uh, just an improvement on the same old you, while it's really you, when you've been born again, you are really new. It's, just not, it's not just a new attempt. And it's not like some sort of reincarnation or a do-over of your life. That, because while it's, it's, you're new, it's still the same you. Just reborn. It's a vital necessity because without it, we are powerless. We are powerless. And that's what Jesus says here. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The terminology here is everyone is powerless to see the kingdom of God. It's like a toy without its batteries. We're like a car without its engine in our relationship with God until we've been born again. That's what Jesus is saying here. This powerlessness comes as a surprise to Nicodemus. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. Notice his relationship with God, and we'll visit this in a second. His relationship with God is tied to his being born a Jew. It's tied to being born a Jew. There's a sharp contrast in what Jesus is saying and what Nicodemus' idea of what it means to have a relationship with God. It was, being, it was about being born into the traditions, into the customs. And at this time, in Jesus' ministry, the temple is present. So there's sacrificial system going on. So he's thinking, what am I lacking here? What do you mean? No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. Obviously, do I need to go back and pick up something I missed? Is what he's saying here. Later on in this conversation, Jesus describes that he would be lifted up on the cross, dying for all of mankind's sins. He says in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Later, even on in verse 36, Jesus communicates that, Nicodemus, this is a watershed moment. You know, where you land on this decision decides your eternal destiny by telling him, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. This is the course of the conversation. This is the where he's going in the conversation, beginning with no one can enter. Everyone is powerless to enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So, you know, we as people like to have a formula that we can fall back on. Um, for Nicodemus, like I said, it was, it was his ancestry. It was this um, idea that actually he was actually thinking that because Abraham was declared righteous by God that in his physical ancestry connected back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that that righteousness was also passed on through that line. You know, we look at that and we think that's kind of weird. But, you know guys, the, the commonality among all people 
is that we're always grasping for some sort of formula to know that we have earned something with God. Uh, you know, I really believe that for us, it can be a sinner's prayer. You know, sometimes when you talk to people and you ask them, so when did you begin to have a relationship with God? They'll, re- they'll reference back, a lot of times rightly, but sometimes it's the only thing that they know of in their life is to reference back, well, I prayed a prayer when I was a child. And guys, that a lot of times we can be latching on to this same formulaic idea, this same practice or, or heritage that, that, that Nicodemus would have been latching on to. Maybe you think that sitting in a chair here gives you a relationship with God. I've been attending church all my life. It's the same spirit that Nicodemus is following here. We're, we are powerless to have a relationship with God without being born again. Those are Jesus' words. Born anew. Born from above. It's also a vital necessity because without being born again, we are powerless to change. We are powerless to experience godly change in our lives. John later writes three letters describing what comes from a person being born from above or from being born again. In those three letters, he describes the person who is born again, what it looks like as they grow in that being born again. He describes that as being convicted about sin, gaining in a, a hunger for God's word, and, and growing in a love for God's people. Those are what John describes in his later three letters. But let me just give you... Um, I'm just going to hit a bunch of verses here from 1 John that ties the change in a person's life to their being born from above, which he describes from Jesus' conversation. You can almost imagine as he's writing 1 John, he's thinking of this conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. I just want to show you the continuity here of this idea of being born again with the rest of Scripture. 1 John 2, 29, he says, if you know that he is righteous and you know that everyone who does what is um, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 1 John 5, 4. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. 1 John 5, 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. And this is talking about a habitual practice of sin, of being underneath sin's dominance. What's the answer in that? Being born of God. Now this isn't an immediate change that we're talking about. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 describes the incremental change that we go through. I, I appreciated um, Steve's comment. It's, it's being different than yesterday and knowing that tomorrow will be different from today. And sometimes you don't even notice that until years down the road. But 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us we who with unfailed faces are reflecting the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So being born of God means being saved from our sins and also having the power to change into 
greater Christ-likeness little by little over the course of our life. And you know, I have to ask you, have you been born from above? Have you been born again? Is God working in you to make you into something new? Is there a change slowly going on in your life that can be described by nothing else other than God is working within you and his desires are slowly becoming your desires. He's working on your heart. Do you see a difference between you and your coworkers? A difference between you and your neighbors that could only be described by the fact that a change has happened in you almost to the point of like, I just wish that they could experience that because I don't know how to tell them to do it in their own power. That's part of what it looks like to be born again. The second idea that Jesus is communicating here is that being born of God is a supernatural event. And we see that in verse 5 here. You know, as a, well, as a side note here, um, it's a common misconception. Well, let me read verses 4 and 5, 4 through 6 actually, first. It says, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And here it is. Jesus answers, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. As a side note, um, you know, both Kelly and I grew up in traditions where because children were baptized when they were infants, it was talking about that common miscon or that, that, that common tendency that we have as humans. Parents would oftentimes latch onto that, uh, that ceremony or onto that, that um, baptism and, and expect that, okay, my child is now a part of the kingdom because they've been baptized. Or my child, I, or they might reference back to that, I know that, you know, I have greater confidence that my child will know the Lord because they've been baptized now. Um, it's, it represents our propensity to want to latch onto a ritual. Uh, there are those who take Jesus' statement here of being born of water and the Spirit to, to mean that uh, baptism is required for salvation. I believe that that is actually what Jesus is moving Nicodemus away from. Water here, it, when combined with the Spirit, represents the cleansing work of God. And we'll look at here what Jesus would have been referencing and what Nicodemus should have been thinking of in this idea. But if, if you'd like to... I don't want to take you guys back into the kitchen here rather than bringing out the meal. So if you'd like to discuss that a little bit about water baptism and stuff, I'd be happy to afterwards here. Um, but you know, there, I want to be careful because I don't want anybody to think that they are not completely welcome to be a part of a church body. I just want to communicate that there is a danger to going to church without having been born of the Spirit. Because we have that tendency to latch on to ceremony, to latch on to ritual, to think, okay, I've cleaned myself up enough. All right? And there's a danger to putting money in the offering without having a relationship with the Lord. 
because we latch on the ritual and we latch on the ceremony and Jesus is challenging Nicodemus, is there a change that has happened within you? Have you been born again? Uh, really, Romans 8.16, to me, is the, is the only assurance, is the only recipe for assurance of salvation that we are given. Obviously, we can, we can reference truth and we can reference, uh, as 1 John describes, that we can see the, a conviction of sin in our lives and we can see a, a, a growing in a love for God's truth and a growing in a love for God's people. But Romans 8.16 gives us the bit broad view of what is happening with that. And that's when he describes that God's spirit is testifying to our spirit that we are children of God. That is assurance of salvation. God's spirit testifying to our spirit that we are children of God. I know this, historically this is a hot topic. Uh, one of my heroes, Jonathan Edwards from the, from the 1700s, he was actually kicked out of his church as a pastor because as, as a part of the membership process, it wasn't, it, it wasn't even that he was asking that, that he be able to see growth in a person's life in order for them to be a member. But he was challenging the people that they needed to be able to say, I have seen growth in my life as a result of my relationship with Christ. And that was like, how dare you? You know, that, that you personally would have seen growth in your life as a part of your relationship with Christ. Um, historically, this is kind of a hot issue, I guess. But back to Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus. Nicodemus and the rest of Israel, they should have been, uh, they had been promised that the Lord would wash them again, that he would put his spirit within them. This, this is kind of a little bit of why Jesus, um, I don't think he's befuddled or anything, but, but um, I think that he saw this again and again in, in the, the Jewish people's minds that because they had the temple, because they were born into God's uh, chosen people, they thought, we're good. You know, we're finished. We're, we're, we're not a work in process. We're here. We've arrived. But I believe this is what Jesus was touching on. Uh, if you'll turn to Ezekiel 36, verse 24. God's people had been scattered. God's people had been brought into captivity um, because of their disobedience. He had promised that this is what would happen if they did not observe his law, if they did not walk with him still. But he'd also promised that the day would come when he would bring them back to himself. And he says in verse 24 of Ezekiel 36, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see that? that 
being born of water and the Spirit. It's like, Nicodemus, this should be triggering something here for you. The day has come when I will sprinkle you with clean water, when I will put a new spirit within you. But the door wasn't open for Nicodemus. Because for Nicodemus, what do you mean? I've got to go back and be born a Jew again? And, and that's the danger for us sometimes, is with all of our religious activity, without having been born again, the door isn't open for us know, to know that we need for God to do a real work in our lives. We must be born again. So being born of God is supernatural in that it is a birth by the Spirit of God. It is a birth by the Spirit of God. So Nicodemus was relying on his ancestry, his connection to Abraham. Uh, when he should have been looking for God's Spirit to move within him. It's unsettling for us. It can especially be unsettling for us as parents. You know, um, just a, a little story to illustrate what I'm talking about here. There was a, um, a boy that I knew in Rapid City, and, and this kid was just so funny. And um, he was on a nature hike that they invited my girls to go on this nature hike with them. And as part of the nature hike, they, they each had a magnifying glass. And they were encouraged to go and and look at different things and to look at the you know, leaves or, or the bugs and things like that and examine things, you know, really, I guess, get down into nature. And um, so parents were along and the guide had encouraged the parents saying, please make sure that all of the kids have parental supervision, you know, so that they don't go up and examine some poison ivy or something like that. And, um, and this this uh, boy that I know had, had heard that and understood it differently. So he, walk, he walked up for a while on the hike, walking up to everybody with his, his um, magnifying glass saying, I have parental supervision. I have parental supervision. So I guess, you know, achieved. He had parental supervision. So they didn't have to worry about him. You know, parents, I know that we wish that we had parental supervision, you know? That we could look into our kids' hearts and see the Holy Spirit indwelling them. That we could look in there and see that there has been a work of God in their hearts and in their minds. But we are looking for a supernatural event. We are looking for a love for God's people, a love for His Word. We are looking for um, a conviction about sin, if we don't see those things, don't hold on to a ceremony from their childhood. I have spoken to so many parents of teenagers that their, their teenagers show no evidence of a walk with the Lord, of a desire to know Him, but yet they're saying, but I know when he was five, he prayed that prayer. And I tell them, preach the gospel to your child. Preach the gospel to your child. They, too, must be born again. Teenagers, this is the time in your life where you want to be looking for your faith to become your own. If you grew up in a Christian home, it's a time where you, you want to be seeing that your faith is moving from beliefs to convictions. And this is a time of your life because you have skin in the game. 
It's, it's your privileges that you're working with. It's your freedoms that you're sacrificing for obedience. We wish we could have supernatural or parental supervision, I know. Third idea here that's communicated is being born of God is an untamable effect. About as untamable as trying to tame the wind. Right? He says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wording here is that it should not even be possible, Nicodemus, that you are surprised by my saying you must be born again. He follows with, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's like, Nicodemus, the temple being here doesn't draw the wind of God's Spirit into this specific area. You know, and just kind of keep him here. God's saving work is uncontrollable and unpredictable. Jesus describes God's saving work as being like the wind. The tense here for the verb blows is it, is it, it has no time specification. In other words, it has always blown, it is blowing, it will always blow wherever it pleases. And that's how God's spirit works. So Nicodemus responds with, how can this be? And Jesus asks that question, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things? Sadly, Nicodemus again and his companions should have been looking for the day when God's spirit would blow like the wind on Israel again. This takes us back to Ezekiel chapter 37. Again, Ezekiel is, is written to God's people in dispersion. They've been scattered. And he's promised that his spirit would blow on them and make them a nation again. And they've, they've, they're back in the land. They're back in the law. They've got the temple. And they forgot one thing. The blowing of God's spirit. What we read in Ezekiel 37, where Ezekiel sees a valley of dried bones. And, and he's told, this is the nation of Israel. And he's told, speak God's word to them. Call, them, call the Spirit to come and blow on them. God speaking to Ezekiel says, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied and he commanded, as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood upon their feet, feet a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Then it follows in verse 14. I will put my spirit in you and I will live and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I the Lord have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Nicodemus was a member of a people group who had not, they missed that, that idea. Then you will know that I have spoken and that I have done it. They had done it. I mean, providentially, 
Of course, God had worked to bring his people back to the land. I mean, it it had been prophesied so that they would be gone for that amount of time, that the temple would be rebuilt, that it would make its way for, for Christ to come. But again, we as people have this tendency to hang our hats on, I go to that building over there. You know, that's where I attend. This is, you know, of course I'm a Christian. That's the team I root for. You know? Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. When his wind blows in our life and we are born again, I can remember, um, speaking of it being uncontrollable and unpredictable, I can remember before um, my trip to Albania in July, at some point I'll stop talking about that trip to Albania. They'll get some distance and you won't hear about it anymore. Um, but in corresponding about this trip, I was, I was talking with the, the pastor there, Pastor Clody, and I had shared with him, I knew that one of the things that I would be doing would be preaching in the church services there the Sunday after the evangelistic outreaches. And I put it together that, okay, there's the evangelistic outreach. We'll be sharing the gospel there. We'll be inviting people to church and we'll also want to have an evangelistic message at church that Sunday. And I started to get a little bit worried here because I, I'm, raise your hand if you would say, I am not an evangelist. I mean, I hear people say that all the time. I do not have the gifts of evangelism, right? And that's basically what I said in my correspondence. Just want to let you know, I am excited to be sharing the gospel, but I do not have the gift of evangelism. My thought was, there's not going to, you know, we're going to take this trip and there's going to be no splash, you know, which obviously that's our human way of looking at it. And, you know, he was kind of like, don't worry about that. No big deal. Um, So our first full day there is on a Wednesday. And I'm told by a young man from a, from a nearby town, tomorrow on Thursday, we're going to have a special meeting with our group of young men and you're going to teach. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, this is a group of young men. It's this group of young men is a street gang. And it is a, a street gang that these, um, these guys from this town had been reaching out to and had been um, offering their friendship and had been teaching them about life, had been sharing God's word with them. And they hadn't really, they, they hadn't really seen it going anywhere yet. And so they said, you're going to come and you're going to teach. And, and so I've, I put together um, a lesson about the uniqueness of Christ and, and who he is and, and what impact he had in our world and what it calls us to. And I go and I'm teaching in this. And um, I close in prayer and Pastor Clody gets up and he starts sharing with them in Albanian and I realize, okay, he's giving an invitation here. And in Albania, you know, they don't say, okay, we're going to bow our heads and, and nobody look and somebody just raise your hand. You know, it was like, if you, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, stand up. And I'm picking this up a little bit and 11 of these guys from this street gang stand up. And I'm just sitting there going, Maybe this is just customary. Maybe this is just kind of like, you know, 
This is what you do to be nice, you know, when you, the older person has asked you to do something. And I'm just kind of watching this play out. Asked, I, I got to talk with Pastor Claudie shortly after, and he says to me, this is a very good day. And to see that these guys have made a public profession of their faith and that they are being discipled and they've left this, this street gang life behind and they're growing. Here, I was not expecting God to do anything. But to know, though, that his spirit is like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You don't know when it's going to pick up. You don't know when it's going to die down. And there's a danger in assuming if you feel convicted that you need to be born again, there's a danger in assuming that that wind will remain and continue to blow. It's unpredictable. And I challenge you with that. But also, you know, we don't want to shrink away from sharing God's truth with others. Being born from above is the effect of sharing God's truth with others. We're told in 1 Peter 23, 1 Peter 1.23, uh, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Parents, we need to be in God's word with our kids. We need to be in God's word with our kids, in God's truth, for sure, with our kids. And God cherishes those who share his truth with other people. You've heard from Romans 10 before. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful, God says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Some of you might wonder at times, why is it that the Bible is what Harvest speaks about? Why is it that it's the scriptures that Harvest seeks to be centered on? It's because people are changed People are born again through God's word being proclaimed to them. That's what we are told. D.L. Moody was asked one time, um, so is someone coming to Christ a work of God or a work of man? He says, I can't quite tell you. He says, I can tell you this. I pray as if it all depends on God, but I share as if it all depends on me. And I think that's a great position to be in. In our homes, we wish we could have, as I said before, parental supervision. But we have a super tool in God's truth. Communicating God's truth, living by God's truth. We're told, uh, speak of it as you sit, as you rise, as you walk, as you lay down. This is what our homes should be about. And a lot of times living out God's truth is saying, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? That's what my kids hear a lot in our home because they don't live with a perfect dad. But that's living out God's truth of forgiveness is available. Forgiveness is there. Forgiveness can be sought. The work of the Spirit and being born from above may be uncontrollable, but it's a great joy to be a small part of sharing His truth.
And I want to ask you this. Have you been born again? You must be born again if you are to take advantage of any of the benefits of the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. It must begin with that. You must be born again. Let's bow our heads. Father God, any of us who know Christ as our Savior here, we should stand or sit in awe of you that you chose to blow your wind through our hearts and our minds, that you chose to allow us to know you, that you chose to convict us of our need for you and to draw us to the truth that salvation is available. Father, we thank you for this. Lord, if there be anyone here that does not know you as their Savior, I pray, Lord God, that you would make that painfully clear. Lord, discomfort is something that we need to draw us away from where we shouldn't be. And Lord, I pray for discomfort. Lord, I pray that you would bring each one of us to know that we know you as our Savior. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me say,